whispers out in the cosmos that can swallow entire stars. Nothing is more seductive. Yes! Are you feeling it now, Mr. Krabs? Are you feeling it? Of course you feel it. Now, what do you want to know? What I want to know is what's going on. I think it's time to blow this thing, get everybody in the stuff together. Okay, three, two, one, it's jam. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We've got a great show for you tonight. Let's get right to it. Welcome to the Big Electron. I'm Jackie. I'm Adam. And we're so glad that you're here with us today. Um, just to remind you, if you're listening to us on a podcast, um, if you want to rate us on iTunes, we would really appreciate it as it helps a lot. So um, rate us if you so desire to, if you like the show or not, I guess. But preferably if you do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> more, more of that. Um, cool. So today it's only the three of us. Um, Anahita is... It's not here with us. Um, and we'll talk about some of the stuff that's been happening recently. And I guess the name of the show, it's going to be Adam. What, what is the name of the show going what to be? What is the name of the show? The, the name of the show is going to be Doom. No, I don't I don't actually remember what we decided the name of the show was. So my apologies. This may be unfortunate live on the air. Um, I thought it was From Lint to Earthquakes. That That's the name of the show. From Lint to Earthquakes. That's a great name that that I forgot. Um, yeah, we're going to uh, do a little bit of talking about the various ways that human beings are impacting uh, the world around us. So I think if we have a common theme for this show, it would be it would be that. And the answer is lots of ways, uh, ranging in severity. And various magnitudes. Yeah, <laughs> ranging of various <laughs> magnitudes. Yes. Um, of severity going from surprisingly powerful lint to not surprisingly powerful earthquakes. So uh, we should uh, definitely get started with that. We'll, yeah. we'll start with... Uh, with, with something that you may have heard recently, uh, and that was the anniversary of the 100th anniversary of the national parks. Yep. Um, so... <laughs> It's pretty old. They are pretty old. Um, but it's great because, you know, it's preserving the wildlife that we have here and the diversity, the biodiversity that we have here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> A big part of the reason we have national parks is so that uh, we we don't impact it the way we often do mm -hmm. when we settle in large numbers in some place. We tend to, uh, you know, remake that place the way we want in a way that benefits us in the short term. And uh, national parks are a great way to set aside some land so that we don't completely destroy it, to put it in as simple a terms as possible. But, unfortunately, that hasn't been working very well. Well, not always. Uh, not <laughs> in every way, not at all times. Definitely. Right. Um, so, based on um, the recent reports and, and, and the birthday celebration of the national parks, um, it was reported, actually, um, by the Associated Press that there are a lot of problems that are on the rise at different parks, especially Yellowstone, uh, which has one of the biggest number of tourists that go to, to the park to visit. Um, and as, you know, the economy is recovering, we're starting to see more and more people joining the uh, 
the tourism of, of for national parks. Which is great because part of the point behind part of the point behind the national parks is to get people engaged and interested in wildlife and wanting to preserve it more. So it really is ideally a good thing that we're having increased traffic, but with that, there's also consequences. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so one of them, it's actually the, um, the, the way they are looking at, uh, they are interfering with, with the wildlife. And so this article reported about, uh, in Yellowstone, um, and they have great pictures and you've probably seen those, um, floating around on, on the, on the interweb, um, (laughs) (laughs) of, uh, there's bisons actually passing by tourists, um, and the way the, the national parks are, are asking for, for stuff is so that, um, you stay away from the natural wildlife, uh, in this case, you know, um, elks, bears, wolves, bison stuff. You stay away at least um, 25 yards from from the wildlife. Uh, but instead, a lot of people are just ignoring it. And instead of stepping away, they actually start going around and trying to snap a picture or a selfie with them. Mm-hmm. And um, then they're forcing, they keep pressing and pressing the animals uh for for pictures not that they're asking for them right but they just keep <laughs> getting closer and closer and they are ignoring the rules of keeping 25 yards from the wildlife which is not good because it's uh forcing the animals into uh, a retreat or they're forcing them to be a bit more aggressive mm-hmm. than otherwise they wouldn't be yeah so at best that's like gonna have the animals retreating into a more and more narrow area mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And at worst, you're going to be eaten by a bear. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> They're not going to be afraid of you anymore. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they, they said that in July alone, uh, the rangers at the national parks handled more than 11,000 incidents. Wow. At the 10 most visited national parks. So this is just in 10 national parks just Out in July. hundreds. There's a bunch uh-huh. of national parks. Yep. They had about 11,000 incidents. Wow. Um, huh. and, and these incidents are not only, you know, affecting the wildlife, but uh, illegal camping, vandalism, <laughs> theft of resources, wildlife harassment, and other visitor misbehavior. Um, well. Just, yeah. Theft of wildlife sounds like an interesting one. It sounds like an interesting profession, <laughs> uh, not a good one. No. But, uh, yeah. So what they're saying is that more people are camping in off-limit areas. Um, they're going to sensitive thermal areas. Mm. They're putting themselves at risk, and they're also displacing wildlife, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, it's not it's not good. Mm-hmm. There, there was a story in the news just a few months ago about a, a tourist at Yellowstone who uh, died by way of geyser. Oh, wow. Uh, somehow, which is bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do not drink and geyser would mm-hmm. be my, my recommendation for that. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. um, some of the, some of the, you probably have heard uh, some headlines from Yellowstone. Uh, actually, I hadn't heard of this one, so I'll share it. A Canadian tourist put a bison calf in his SUV. Yeah, that was a big deal. Hoping to save it. Mm-hmm. But this actually forced the 
workers of the national park to euthanize the animal mm-hmm. since they couldn't reunite with this mm-hmm. herd. It would be very stressful. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, nope. That's not, that's not good. Yep. Um, Quit messing with nature. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're reporting that more than 52,000 warnings were issued in 2015, which is up <laughs> wow. to almost 20% more than the year before. So I can only imagine how bad this year is going to be. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, it's understandable if you want to go to Yellowstone. It is the original national park in the United States, the oldest one. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, don't don't behave like that mm-hmm. if you're going to go to a national park. It's designed to be there without us. So mm-hmm. let's hopefully let's some of the people that are yeah. that know what's going on will help. You know. Have some peer pressure. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Okay. So that story is kind of about people misbehaving, right? And messing things up. So um, kind of what I want to talk about is really just us being us. And even if nobody is intentionally misbehaving, we can still have consequences. So um, I recently went to Carlsbad Caverns in New Mexico And one of the most fascinating things that I learned is that a major, um, a major worry that they have at these places is pocket lint. That is terrifying. (laughs) It is super weird. So, um, basically they say that these caverns, because there's nowhere, there's, you know, one way to enter and exit and then there's nowhere else to go. There's no there's no like water flowing out of the caverns or anything like that. It is just a hole, a giant hole and that that acts as a giant belly button <laughs> and accumulates all the lint, uh, in all the little nooks and crannies, uh, from, you know, obviously our pockets, but even just our jeans swishing together or our hairs falling out of our head or our skin cells brushing off of our arm. Just all the Jesus. normal things that we normally just take for granted. They just blow away in the wind while they blow into the caverns. And uh, so the cavern people have to <laughs> deal with it. And so they get these um, hordes of volunteers every year that go in there with brushes and rags and toothbrushes and just get in all those little nooks and crannies and try to get the lint out. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And if you've not been to Carlsbad Caverns uh, before, this is... Um, is is a bit bit different than some other cave systems you may have heard of. It's really the caves itself are really isolated from everything around it. Mm-hmm. They're like in a pit. There's no in or out except by what they've built, as far as I understand mm-hmm. it. And yeah, so, just you go down, just walk down. Uh-huh. Which you don't even you don't even see it until you're like there in the little office. You buy your tickets, and then they're like, <laughs> "Okay, go over there." And you're like, "Where? Like, just go over there. Like, keep walking, and you'll eventually there get there." There will be there. a cave, I promise. Yeah, and then you get there, and then when you get to the bottom of the caverns, mm-hmm. then you take an elevator up. And yeah, then- unless you're just really enthusiastic about exercise. Because yeah. we we walked down, and oh. even that was like, okay, I'm feeling this. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. there's no it's weather. Long... Yeah, yeah, no. There's no weather in this cave to clear out whatever, you know, byproducts of our presence are there. So mm-hmm. I guess it makes sense in a way. But geez, we can't even 
Can't even walk around in that mm-hmm. place without messing it yeah. up. There's some places so fragile. It's wow. So after after I read that sign, I was walking so carefully <laughs> and trying not to accidentally like swish my arm against my pants or anything like that. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it helped. Definitely I, in the big scheme. You're doing your part. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's such an odd mm-hmm. odd possibility. Yep, but a very pretty place. Again encourage people to go to the national parks but just go conscientiously well Mm -hmm. i suppose it it wouldn't hurt if we were a little bit more uh even if we have difficult time (laughs) yeah mindful even if we have difficult time controlling how much lint we produce (laughs) we can at least not kidnap a buffalo yep uh from carlsbad caverns (laughs) that that can be arranged i may be mixing up okay (laughs) Perhaps, perhaps I'm misunderstanding the ecology of Carlsbad. Cameron, so, so, so okay. So, scientists are very good at coming up with solutions to certain problems, or at least telling us that there is a problem, or at least attempting to tell us that there is a problem. <laughs> we try. We try. What What is a problem that that you're attempting to to talk about, Adam? Oh well, I'll I'll, I'll talk about this. Um. So yeah, we. I mean, we sciencey folks are so great at coming up with solutions, mm. except when we're completely not and we have no idea what to do, which is 99% of the time. Um, so what we can do is come up with a really clever name for we like the problems categorizing. That, we, that we hopelessly cannot deal yep. with. Classifying. Uh, so um, you may have heard this around over the last few years, um, but there's a an idea that's been floating around among geologists for the last few years and it's sort of picking up steam and it's a concept called the anthropocene and so you might have heard in uh in a geology class you might have heard about the various uh, time periods of geology like time periods that are millions of years long and cover certain uh fossil types that are found in rock layers mm-hmm. like the jurassic era you know mm-hmm. you've heard of jurassic park that's the jurassic <laughs> era that's the era of the rock era. layers when there was rock laid down and we find dinosaur fossils in them for example so you know we got uh how many 15 16 something geologic layers i don't know that's a total guess some geologists will be really mad at me <laughs> um but you know we have the Jurassic and the Triassic and the Permian and all these things. Most of those last for many millions. Did of you years. just say Triassic? Triassic. Uh. No, not Triassic. <laughs> My chemist friend. Um, <laughs> no, uh, it, um, no. So Triassic and uh-huh, the Permian okay. and all these things. And these are geologic eras that last millions and millions of years. And then something happens, and one batch of animals is replaced mm-hmm. with another one that leaves their fossils, and you give it a new name. Well, the geologic... So that would be like the Ice Age, like the Ice Age happens and now we're in a new era. The or... end the end of the most recent Ice Age marks the end of the most recent geologic area. era. Oh. That's uh, the... So we're still so in So that the... was about like ten to 12,000 years ago. Okay. That was... So we're still young. The end of the last Ice Age, right? Okay. So we're right now in the shortest defined like geologic era. Uh-huh. It's called the Holocene. Okay. And it basically means the time from the end of the Ice Age, about ten or 12,000 years ago, up to now. Okay. So, well, at least that's the way we've been thinking of it for the last 100 years or so. Um, but geologists are starting to reconsider that and are moving closer and closer to saying, we're not actually in the Holocene 
era anymore. That starting sometime recently, we don't know exactly a date, uh, Mm -hmm. we entered a new era, which they're calling the Anthropocene. And that means the era of human beings. Mm -hmm. The era in which our actions, yeah, (laughs) there's our Mm -hmm. our punchline right there. The era when human beings are having so much impact on the earth and its environment uh, that we suspect that future geologists will be able to find evidence in the rock Mm -hmm. layers of our presence. In fact, that it's so so apparent that they'll be just like, what on earth happened at this time? What on earth? So see yeah. what I did there. Um, so <laughs> that- so currently, this has like I'm just kind of in a climate change mindset. So mm-hmm. I'm like, oh yeah, these things are all changing. But this would also include domestication of animals, right? Absolutely. So Absolutely. a long time ago, in my perspective, but really not a long time ago in terms of geologic ages. Right. Yeah. By comparison to what we normally think of as a geologic age. Our impact has been really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and they're, yeah. They're talking even faster than that, actually. Really? Yeah. Well, because we domesticated animals and plants and things like that mm-hmm. thousands of years in the past. So that is um, that is definitely something that impacts the earth and what fossils you may someday find in there. But they never really felt compelled to say that that caused us to be in a different geologic age than the previous few thousand mm-hmm. years. Yeah, that's they're, nothing new for us. They're talking about really recent, like oh. within a human lifetime recent. Wow. wow. For example, uh, and I'm my main reference on this is an article that's found on theguardian.com called The Anthropocene Epic, Scientists Declare Dawn of Human-Influenced Age. But mm-hmm. there are lots of articles about this particular thing mm-hmm. out there in different journals. Um or you can also go to Wikipedia. <laughs> or you can go to Wikipedia, yeah. <laughs> um, have opportunities. But they're even talking about like since like 1945, like since the mm. end of World War II kind of thing. Like wow. just in that time period, um, there's been like a more popular, like one popular and particularly big breed of domestic chicken huh. has become like worldwide in its distribution when it never used to be. Like it used to be just in certain areas they'd grow this. Now all of a sudden there's like billions and billions of chicken, you know, huh. bones out in landfills all across the entire planet Earth. And yeah. they're all huge. <laughs> that's like, that's a new thing. Even the domestic chicken before that wouldn't have left that much mm-hmm. evidence. But now it's just like these billions and billions of chickens. The idea of the landfill is interesting. Like we've even <laughs> altered the dispersion, the where the fossils will be found. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely, because we're so mobile now that we can <coughs> that we can go on on different things. Mm-hmm. And I'm just reading over here, and they say that um, the working geo working group on the Anthropocene voted to formally designate this era Anthropocene. Present the recom- and presented the recommendation to the International Geological Congress right. wow. uh, on August 29th of this year. So like five days ago. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's been started to be used by Soviet scientists as early as the 1960s. Oh, hmm. um, I did not know that. Yeah. So they started using it back in the 60s. Um, in January of this year, a paper in, in Science, the journal, um, they designated this um, as the Holocene era uh, when they were looking at the climatic, biological, and geochemical signatures of human activities. Um, mm. So, 
I'm sorry, wow. but this has to be a super exciting time then to be a geologist or, you know, someone who studies this kind of stuff. Like, how yeah. cool would that be? Like, I, I, was there. I was there at the <laughs> beginning of it. <laughs> in, in March of last year, uh, a paper that was published in Nature said that they... Um, they predicted the years up to which uh, could be the beginning of Anthropocene. <laughs> what did they say? And they say it's either 1610 uh -huh. okay. or 1964. <laughs> <laughs> so give or take 300 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's when Dr. Such and Such was born and he's decided the new, the new geologic age is then. Uh, yeah. 1610. That's, yeah, that's, that's a very specific year. Uh, so is nineteen sixty four. I suppose sure. it is. <laughs> but so I don't, I don't know how they came up with it. But I mean, you when you're talking something. about when you're talking about thousands of years, three hundred years yeah. doesn't seem that. It's, it's a pretty yeah. tight. I mean, it may be a little bit fuzzy, but this is a pretty strong line by mm -hmm. geologic standards, regardless of how big a range we say it is. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of different activities that we could use if we wanted to to define this new era of human impact on the earth's crust basically mm -hmm. like the the picture at the front of this article from the guardian that i referenced a few minutes ago is predictably a picture of a giant mushroom cloud mm -hmm. i mean that may be a little bit on the nose but that's kind of one of the major things you'd notice is that for a while we were doing nuclear testing, and we mm -hmm. still are, but we were doing nuclear testing that spread radioactive particles all over the earth in mm -hmm. a detectable way. So that's, you know, not a good idea, mm -hmm. but it's something that's been done. So um, the, um, but then there's also, of course, emission of fossil fuels, which is, mm -hmm. you know, produce different carbon uh carbon dioxide levels that can be detected in certain things like, you know, layers of rock that are being deposited or ice, mm -hmm. you know, in the poles, that sort of thing. There's the chickens that I mentioned. There's the giant swirling mass of plastic waste that goes around the Pacific Ocean now. Yep. Uh, if you haven't heard of that, it's the, what do they call it? The Great Trash something or I other? I don't know. Giant trash thingy in the Pacific Ocean, I but presume. There, is, it there is a really great video I know called the Mysterious Plastic Bag, <laughs> and it's a documentary, a mockumentary, I guess, about this plastic bag trying to get to its home in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. It's and it's depressingly funny. I'm sure it has a happy ending for the bag <laughs> yeah. uh, when it when it when makes it, finds it there. Home. Yeah. <laughs> but so yeah, there's all sorts of ways we could set aside this recent, you know. Mm -hmm. Few years, however yeah. long we say it is. Now you're probably wondering why haven't we heard of this? Why haven't we picked it up already? And if you do a quick Google search, you'll see that a lot of other scientists say, "No, you're wrong. These people are wrong. We're not going to consider them." Yada yada, and so um, they they're, they're still being debated, and that's why we haven't said yes, we are in this new era or not. We're not. I would suggest. Yeah. I would yeah. suspect that at, from this point on that debate is going to come up really regularly i mean we're <laughs> yeah. going to keep changing things a lot and now we have people that are actually paying attention to it i mean it's not like we had people monitoring the climate after the ice age nobody was there to argue whether or not this was the dawn of a new era but now we are now I, we're paying attention i somehow like to think that they were and we just <laughs> don't know about it because it was before writing <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. but but you're probably right they probably were not uh, but 
they should have been. They should have been. Uh, so if if you're listening here in Colombia um, or around the area of, of Colombia, you probably are thinking of a very specific example that we can say about anthracene, um, which happened just yesterday. Mm-hmm. Oh. And that was a rather, um, how would you say it, an earthquake? That, earthquake. that would be how you say it, yeah. <laughs> in places that yeah. you don't normally expect earthquakes. Right. So here in Colombia, I've been here for over four years. I've never experienced it. Mm-hmm. I was in Kansas City, actually, and mm-hmm. there, yeah, it was 3.2 on the on the scale. So Wow. And, um, yeah, in Oklahoma, it was 5.4, which is uh, where the epicenter of the earthquake was. Um so that's pretty big for them. I, oh, I yeah. Get the oh, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I mean, I'm from Kansas and in my 27 years, I have never experienced an earthquake. And I was reading recently that I guess Kansas would get small earthquakes in the like the southern central part of the state every once in a while. Maybe maybe once a year, maybe two. And now they're up to 52 uh, so that's alarming and most of them are really, really small, but this one was big enough that all over my Facebook people were posting, like <laughs> it was, it was kind of f- small, funny stuff like, oh, here's the one thing that fell down in my house and, um, <laughs> stuff like that because uh-huh. Kansans are not used to earthquakes. We know tornadoes, we know blizzards, but not earthquakes. That's a very foreign concept. And so, yeah, everyone was freaking out. Mm -hmm. Because generally we hear about earthquakes. If we hear them here in the States, it's mostly in California, Mm -hmm. the California area. Maybe they all... The middle of the country. (laughs) Maybe they're giving up their crown of earthquake (laughs) capital. uh, It looks like there's a new... Does that mean we're going to have The Rock filming here? Oh, it should. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) I think we should turn this lemonade or turn these lemons into lemonade, as they uh-huh. say, and, yeah. and get the rock over here <laughs> to make a movie about giant moving rocks in the Earth's crust. Um, which again, great. Um, but for sure, yeah, this is really so what strange. So, what stuff. is causing that? I, yeah. I would ask. Sure. So, for a bunch of years now, there's been kind of this debate where um, you know we've been increasing the, our amounts of fracking which is hydraulic hydraulic fracturing, um, and it's a way of getting natural gas out of the ground. Um, It's different from just traditional drilling because you have to take this salty water and blast at the rocks, and that helps get the natural gas out. And then they take the, the way I understand it, they take the gas out and then they put the water back. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so they they take, uh, so, so they have their natural gas that are, you know, extracting um, and then they call it fracking fluids uh, or wastewaters and salt water that are trapped in the same formation as the gas um, so they are returned to the surface uh, so as you're taking out the gas you're also taking this back um, but these waters are disposed waste waters are disposed by injection into deep wells mm-hmm. um, so they're kind of re-injected on, into the subsurface um, and this one's uh, According to the United States Geological Survey, says that the injection of the wastewater and salt water into the subsurface can cause earthquakes that are large enough to be felt and may cause some damage. Mm-hmm. So it's so, sort of the reinsertion of 
or putting the back waste the, water. the wastewater that is making it. Because um, they, they do say that when you're extracting the gas, um, this can cause some small earthquakes, but there are almost too small to be a safety concern. Mm-hmm. But, it's, but. but when you put the wastewater back into the surface, that's what causes... Um, a big one. Mm-hmm. A big one. <laughs> Oh. Or, or, or not a big one, but a large one um, that's enough to be felt. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was actually something that they just claimed recently, re- as recent as this year. Uh, so they released a report back in March 31st um, saying that actually fracking can cause risks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is there is some evidence, and there's this uh, report if you want to check it out. Um that even since we started doing fracking, which was back in the late 60s, um, the Geological Survey has been looking at the data and trying to find out whether or not um, this method of extracting natural gas is affecting mm-hmm. the, the surface of, of Earth. And I was reading that um, some of the stuff that we've been doing recently specifically is more responsible than the old ways. Um, Specifically, the horizontal drilling that we're doing is apparently more likely to cause these issues um, than just normal vertical drilling. So we've changed that recently in the last few, say, decades or Uh, years? I believe so. Okay. I I believe I've read that Uh as well somewhere, although I... Did not know about the horizontal versus vertical drilling. Yeah. That's actually a fascinating uh-huh. concept. So they changed up their methods in a way that is mm-hmm. very efficient and sure. very good at getting natural gas out of the ground and apparently is uh, a possible culprit in causing too. earthquakes, yeah. Um, which yeah, we so are Yeah, so this one doing. the other day, um, it, it reached really far. So it originated, it originated in... Oklahoma, but was felt in Houston and then all the way up to North Dakota. Wow. I think it was North Dakota, maybe South Dakota. Well, the Dakotas Dakotas are the same. (laughs) Um. Uh, But yeah, so kind of, kind of how, um, going back to how the waste fluids are pumped back. um, So kind of how an earthquake works is you have enough pressure and you have like a cushioning layer of fluid that can force its way between two sides of a deep strike slip fault um so it lubricates both sides and releases the the stress and that's kind of how the earthquake works so when fracking waste fluids are pumped back down um they're pouring we're pumping those fluid uh, fluids back into a porous rock which requires high pressure so you're putting pressure onto the porous rocks um and at the required pressures the waste fluids can fill up the porous bedrock (laughs) which open up the stable faults, and that's when you start getting um, the, the earthquake. So really, we're helping the rock layers relieve stress. Yeah. I mean, we're <laughs> which like, which causes like, like, earthquakes. You <laughs> seem Seuss. like entire state of Oklahoma, you seem like you're under a lot of pressure, <laughs> and we're going to provide you with just the right materials and in just the right places so that you release that stress and cause us to all shake violently for some <laughs> period of time. Yeah, um, so Madeline said... Um, it was felt in Oklahoma. So Texas and Oklahoma um, are the epicenter of this problem. Okay. So That's where uh, the fracking is the done. The fracking presumably. is done mostly and, and oil too. 
um, in Texas okay. mostly. But um, so until there's this uh, tidbit of data, um, until 2008, there had never been an earthquake recorded in the Dallas area. Wow. But um, the first wells were drilled there or around the area in 2002. And since 2008, they've had almost 200 earthquakes. Wow. Oklahoma, it's even worse. In 2014, their earthquake rate was greater than California's. Wow. And That's... in 2015, so last year, they had 890 earthquakes. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sure there are some folks saying that this is just, uh, well, to put it bluntly, uh, hippie nonsense and that there is mm -hmm. no way that this fracking process is causing earthquakes. Can we pretty confidently say that's uh, that's maybe a little too quick to dismiss uh, the possibility? I mean, it looks like there's a pretty direct correlation with this process and the massive increase in the amount of earthquakes they've had in a previously very stable region. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the the arguments against it causing earthquakes have been largely funded by the American Poli Petroleum Institution or whatever API. I wonder so, why. Yeah. They, they seem like a neutral bunch. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, yep, yeah. seems like the science is piling up pretty heavily on one side. Oh, well. Yeah. Um, that's nice, I, I guess. <laughs> it's, uh, it's important to mention that earthquakes induced by fracking are different than natural earthquakes, uh, mm -hmm. according to the, to the geological survey. So uh, in, in source, frequency, propagation, and ground shaking characteristics. Hmm. So induced earthquakes are shallower. They tend to stay below 5.5 in magnitude. Well, that's good at least. Um, yeah. <laughs> and they tend to swarm. Um, uh. They also can persist for years after the actual fluid injection stops. Mm. So, um, um, which hey. also, uh, I would like to mention that Oklahoma apparently, um, mandated the, th the closing of 37 of these wells the other day in response to this kind of thing. So it seems like officials are taking it seriously and working to make a meaningful change. So, so hopefully we can find a way to avoid this. Maybe we've reached a point when something has to be done about it. Yeah. No, there's no ignoring it anymore. Well, when you, when you feel uh, it in like... <laughs> in Missouri. In Missouri or in <laughs> North Dakota. Yeah. I mean... Like our, our neighbors are going to be very upset. We'd better do something about um, this. Yeah. So just to close up, um, in this in this report that the Geological Survey released, um, they actually <clears throat> tied um, seismic activity to fracking activity in eight states. So it's not only Texas and Oklahoma. Sure. They actually tied okay. it to around the area. Yeah. Um, and there is a map um, that it's that it's available if you want to check it out. And they say m more uh, sort of where. Um, the wells are associated with earthquakes, and they're mostly in Oklahoma, as you would expect, um, around Texas, more or less. Um, they're color-coded, so you can see. And there are actually some um, in in Illinois, hmm. um, southern Illinois. Oh. So um, we got to gotta check those out, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Kansas also has mm -hmm. a few of those, uh, but it's mostly wells that are not associated with with earthquakes. Um, most of the ones that are associated with earthquakes are, are in Oklahoma. So, uh, yeah. Well, that's interesting. So mm -hmm. be on the lookout for more uh, Oklahoma <laughs> quakes that impact us locally here. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully it's not, it's not too bad. Um, 
if you know the the research is out there it was just put out earlier this year so hopefully now we're starting to to take action into that mm-hmm. unfortunately you know if if we stop all the the drilling and and the wells we'll still have to deal we'll with still it. have to deal with it for a few years yeah. but at least we uh, won't be increasing the risk or something like that right. so well it's uh, never too soon to start trying to fix the problem. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, so with that, we're going to go on our first musical break. You're listening to The Big Electron on KCAU 88.1 FM. All right, welcome back to The Big Electron. Um, we are talking about, as Adam said, the doom of... <laughs> <laughs> the doom of the world. There no, uh, not exactly. Kind of. Kind of. We're feeling pretty, pretty pumped about about the doom of the world for some reason it's like we're grad students or something yeah. <laughs> grad school doesn't harbor if, if if you're not familiar How are with you why celebrating that Labor Day? by celebrating doom uh no um by not acting grad studenty mostly that's how i'm celebrating it so yeah uh, yeah i Anyhow. mean as as i heard somewhere it's not nice to make fun of grad students they're not bad people they just made a terrible life choice um so anyway um Yay. sorry for the speaking copyright. of bad choices uh, what other of bad, bad choices, choices can you make here's a bad choice um that cute goldfish that you've had around that just um you don't want anymore mm-hmm. maybe because you get, it's just so much trouble to take care of a goldfish that <laughs> once a day that you put the little uh-huh. flakes they're in the, super demanding well, yeah they're so demanding they just, just keep wanting fed they're just so emotionally needy um yeah pooping exactly it's Jeez. terrible it's just so much work so it, don't uh throw it into uh any situation like uh, any body of water that it can still be alive like an like a a river or a a lake lake or an ocean or things like that don't do that um because they might just still be alive uh for a while and they may grow to an enormous size and come back for revenge um how do they do that the revenge part i'm not sure about the revenge part but i mean they they do uh hang around they Mm -hmm. don't just disappear <laughs> discarded goldfish actually become an invasive species wow. in places some places where they are discarded mm-hmm. they they stick around and when they stick around in a wild environment they get big mm-hmm. um, what do you mean by big by well a typical goldfish is what one or two inches yeah long uh-huh. um let's if you see try if real I hard i think number. you can get them to six inches if you give them like a real big tank and make sure and feed them plenty and and stuff like that. But that's kind of the uh, domestic limit, I believe. Yeah, it's about five inches in total length. Five inches. I know that might not sound like a lot as comparing to, say, your own height. Mm-hmm. But think about how big a five-inch goldfish would be in your tank. Mm-hmm. Compare Compare that to <laughs> what you actually see in there. That's big. It, they can also they, they can also exceed a foot with yeah. sing, single tailed breeds, so they can they can grow a bit bigger. Yeah, on the extreme, they can get much bigger than that five inches, and the five inches just sort of I think like mm-hmm. a, is that an average range or is that under um, certain circumstances? I don't know. That's just what I read. It was just it's, that that's the typical. Yeah, the they, typical they, they have the potential size. to reach certain uh, lengths. Okay. So if if it grows up to a foot, it's like. It's like you have a cramped, it would be as cramped 
as a five-week-old kitten trapped in a shoebox. <laughs> Which sounds adorable. <laughs> Are you kidding me? It's like so bad. Oh, if you right. have if you have it For on if you have bit, the goldfish adorable. in a bowl, that's that's what I mean. Oh, okay, the goldfish thing. Yeah, that sounds bad. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds not adorable. The kitten thing just got my adorable genes activated. <laughs> anyway, um, so and it's not just that they become big individually is also that they can survive and find friends Mm -hmm. and breed Mm -hmm. and then there are a lot of them so uh and and why is it bad that we that they have so many well because they eat every other fish's food uh among other things oh well that's not good yeah Uh, the reason (laughs) that this that this story came to to our attention just in the last few days is actually a recent report from uh, western australia uh, an academic study um, that was published in the journal Ecology of Freshwater Fish, uh, where they are looking at different Australian rivers mm-hmm. and uh, the goldfish that have been released into them and what their populations look like. Uh, they are big, they're numerous, and they're fast. Oh. Um, as, uh, as it puts it uh, here in this summary that I'm seeing in... Um, they can travel uh, an average of a mile a day wow. along a river's length and on the extreme uh, even th- up to th- uh, over three miles wow. in a day but uh, just on average uh-huh. one mile a day which is a pretty quick uh, movement across a river yeah personally uh, i don't know why that matters do you wh- know why that matters why it matters that they can travel really fast yeah just that they can invade very quickly and reach really far uh yeah, it basically means if there's something native that lives there, some sort of fish that lives there, those fish are we'll now competing with the goldfish yeah. for, okay. for that, for whatever their food is. Okay. So yeah. if the goldfish, and plus if there are tiny critters or something that the goldfish themselves eat, they mm-hmm. are now going to be eaten by goldfish. Okay. So they they impact the food net food web sure. overall. Uh, that's not automatically like some terrible thing, and in mm-hmm. some cases it wouldn't be. In other cases, it would be. That's the thing. It's a single species that originated in Asia, you know, mm-hmm. just naturally many, many years ago. And now it's showing up in places where it's never been before. Mm-hmm. So so there's no... We could be optimistic and assume that it won't have any negative impact on the local environment. Experience says it will probably have a negative impact in some places. Mm-hmm. Not all of them, but in some. Yep. So As most invasive species do. Right. So they're really mm-hmm. good at it, though. Interesting. And, uh, hanging around. So, so I was looking into goldfish in general and because I've always kind of heard that goldfish will grow as big as their tank. So if you keep them in a small tank, they will stay small. And if you put them in a bigger tank, they'll get bigger. And apparently now if you put them in a lake, they will get real big. Right. Um, so I was kind of investigating like, why is that? And the sources that I've found are mostly saying that while technically, yes, that is what you're seeing, um, the fish actually wants to be big. Its genetic code is telling it that you should be big, but when you put it in a smaller environment, you're just stressing the fish. Um, it has um, not only not a lot of wiggle room, but uh, the water around it becomes contaminated much more quickly. Obviously, it's good to have a right. filter, so um, that would help with that. Uh, but still, one of the things that was most interesting, in my opinion, is that um, goldfish emit growth-stunting hormones 
And so if they're floating around in their own water, they are stunting their own growth um, because they're now giving off these hormones and receiving them. And so, but once you get them in more water, the growth hormone concentration is more dilute and the growth restriction is unrestricted and they grow more. Um, and so I just thought that was interesting. So, like, So all those restrictions that are placed on it because it was in a super limited mm -hmm. environment are gone now. Now mm -hmm. it has all this free range yep. to grow to whatever size it would be inclined to. Yeah. Anyway. Assuming it has, you know, there's a lot of things that go into growth. It has to have the right nutrients, um, the right food, the right amount of water. Um, you know, some fish like to have moving water, fresh water, whereas others can kind of hang out in more stagnant water. So there's a bunch of those things that impact or the pH of the water impact um, the growth of fish in general and would be different for various species. But the idea that your your um, goldfish will only grow as big as the tank allows it, while true, is a little bit mean, I guess, <laughs> because, yeah, you're, you're stressing the fish out. You're not giving it enough food. You're not giving it enough space. Hmm. Yeah, kind of sad. Uh, this makes this whole... <laughs> discarding of goldfish thing kind of a, a double-edged sword isn't sure. it it's like on the one hand you're free uh -huh. go be what you what naturally you want to want be, to be. Uh -huh. and it turns out that it wants to be a giant <laughs> disruptive force in a natural Instead river a that it should not be in on on your <laughs> aquarium mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> like <It's> somewhere <laughs> i want to be a dangerous invasive species that's <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking speaking of doomsday scenarios, uh, <laughs> <they're>, <laughs> we've got plenty. We there are plenty. We're not going you to are, run out. You are yeah. correct. I've, if you look around, there are you know there's always a theory of like oh, by year 2020, by year 2050, by in a hundred years we'll all be gone and we're doomed. We're <laughs> we're doomed. We're done. Right. Um, recently, there was a study actually done about um, how they were trying to predict how is it that we're going to, you know, collapse. <laughs> okay. um, which, which of these many possible sources of doom are the real one? And, and what they're saying <laughs> is that, so, so they looked at, you know, you think about the Roman Empire, the uh -huh. Mayan civilization, the, the Han Dynasty of China, so on and so forth, like so many kingdoms that, you know, were so powerful and then they collapse. Why? Why do they collapse? Um, so they call it um, societal collapse. It's more common than you think, um, and this is what? how they how they uh -oh. argue wow. that we the human civilization is going to uh, to to collapse is via uh, a societal collapse. So <laughs> we will have a rise of a great societal structure, and then it's going to fall, and then we're going to be doing this over and over and oh over God. again. Uh, oh. It's it's more of the rule than than of the exception. Um, so they've looked at, uh, you know, what are those collapses that have happened? Uh, we can either have a disaster like an earthquake, as we were saying, or flooding or something, mm -hmm. uh, loss of resources. So deforestation or human conflict like war, war. Mm -hmm. um, and, and those lead to a, to a particular, uh, society's downfall. But researchers from the university of Maryland college park and also NASA's, um, they, they wanted to use a mathematical model to analyze how the society is going to fall. <laughs> um, and they included our current global technically advanced interconnected society. 
Wow, that sounds hard. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so what they what they did is uh, they developed a a relatively simple formula that had four factors that would influence um, societal collapse, nature and natural resources, accumulation of wealth, and the elite and the commoners. (laughs) Okay. And they called this model the human and nature dynamics or handy. (laughs) Because it will come in very handy. Adorable. (laughs) Um, And and they look at three different social scenarios. One where it was a, a society that had no elite class an equitable society that had workers and non-workers, like students, retirees, civil persons, so on and so forth, and an unequal society with a robust class of elites. Hmm. Um, so the the one with no elite class and the the ones where we were equal could produce a sustainable civilization and avoid collapse, even with a high ratio of non-workers. Huh. So they were like good it was more likely to affect that the collapse was more likely to affect people um and and deplete overreach people and deplete natural resources um so you know it's still like kind of like that but on an unequal society collapse was almost unavoidable oh which is pretty much how our current society works we're not in a very equal yeah society we're in a very unequal society so they're saying that the unequal society um, makes us go through our resources more quickly yeah so they're saying makes us more vulnerable to doom is what if i understood that correctly. yeah it makes okay. us more more vulnerable more likely to collapse well yeah but why at some point um so they're looking they looked at a different at different places um they looked at the distribution of wealth that that is one of the factors, um, according okay. to the, to their equation. That's one of the factors um, that can do that. Um, the other one is the exploitation of natural resources. Mm-hmm. Um, they're saying that even with the technology that we have right now, the advanced, sophisticated, complex technology, we're still uh, fragile, fragile and impermanent. That um, it doesn't matter how scientifically advanced we are, uh, we'll still be able to collapse at at some point <laughs> with uh, in, including those those technologies. Just. Yeah. Um, so, but they're saying uh, not all is lost, and so we, we should probably end on a good note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on that note, <laughs> that, goodbye. On that yeah. note, <laughs> uh, it says that, that we can moderate uh, two factors that contribute to most social meltdowns, which is the exploitation of natural resources and the uneven distribution of wealth. Hey, this is Danny. This is Justin. And we're in Menomina, and you're listening to KCOU. Columbia. 88.1. And what they're saying is that they can, if we are able to kind of manage those two things, then we'll be able to avoid a collapse and the population can reach a good equilibrium Hmm. that can be sustainable for, for all people. I, I'm not sure what to think of all that. Um, (laughs) I will will say this this was a study done, um, and in Maryland and NASA, um, a couple of years ago, and they call it handy. So, handy. Yeah. Well. And then they wanted to see how how doomed we would be and how we could avoid a societal mm-hmm. collapse. So. Well, for for what it's worth, my two cents are you will certainly help keep society more stable by not kidnapping a buffalo and <laughs> not releasing your goldfish into the wild. Mm-hmm. and Keep your pocket lent to yourself. Not And keep your pocket lent to yourself. <laughs> That's right. So 
Yeah. That's so, that's how I plan to help. Yeah, yeah. Little by little, we can do something. <laughs> no, down with lint. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, uh, we thank you for listening. You were listening to The Big Electron on KCU 88.1 FM. Have a great night. This is The Big Electron. I'm Jackie. I'm Adam. I'm Madeline. And I'm Anahita. Thank you for subscribing, and please rate us on iTunes.